Nick, right before we were talking, uh-huh. uh, right, well, not not right before we were talking, we were a- no. actively talking, right before we started recording us talking, you gave me another clip of you, not you, but of the uh, trails you go on. And yeah, just, I mean, just give me, the, give me, give me the five second description so that everybody can understand exactly what we're looking uh, at here. It's, uh, it's a dusty, rocky shoot that is eight feet ish, I think, uh, that is like 90 degrees. And somebody rolling it instead of dropping what, it. Which what's, I, and what does rolling yeah. it mean, Nick? Oh, that means your your wheels stay on the ground the whole time. You yeah. Should, I, yeah. I'm wheels sorry. Wheels on the ground. And, and, and sh- yeah, I picked it up through context clues because I could watch the video. But that's wheels on sheer cliff downhill for yeah. tall, taller than me is. Yeah. I, I see. That doesn't seem like the right call, right? How Not often for like do you 90. do these sort of trails? Nick, this is ridiculous. Uh, a couple of times a ride, a couple rides a week. Oh, my God. Okay, but for real, this, this one is this one is like that. That specific section is definitely way worse than than um, than most, like than, by a than, fair amount. Than most people do on a daily basis. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah yes, and more than I do. But like, it's it's uh, it's I don't know. Um, I I don't do trails like that one that often. Before, before before we jump into the the thing, um, what percentage of your like trips down trails on a given week or month or whatever are trails that you've not gone down before. I'm actually been kind of curious about that. Like, oh, how often are so, they new? So th- this is something that stinks about like mountain biking in a way is like the better you get, the more you ride, the the rarer it is to get to go down new trails because like you either have to go to like increasingly difficult trails or you have to go further because you've probably done everything in your local area, gotcha. right? So like, um, I've done a couple of new trails this month like maybe three and i did like one or two last month too but i would say like you know less than 10 percent are new trails okay if Sig- i went to the of, yeah if, if i went to the one that you showed me the the short video of uh, as a person who has never done any of this ever before bye jeff what are is this literally good- nick no literally what are my <laughs> chances of walking away let's let's assume that i'm just as brave as can be because i'm super brave and i'll do all the all the all the the jumps yeah like you, you like your your brain just doesn't understand fear um yeah yeah what, uh, <laughs> what are my chances of one survival and then two i guess as a secondary like walking away without injury um dude so i don't know that's that's something that's hard is um like this is Nick. People Nick, Nick. crash on really sketchy stuff and be totally fine. And also, my worst injury was on an incredibly mellow trail. Nick, I, I, I maybe I didn't try to interrupt you hard enough. Your chances I, of, of I, survival I, are zero percent. No, Nick, they're not zero percent. I would give myself a chance uh-huh. of survival. I mean, if I have friends around and helicopters still exist, I think I have like a 10% chance of survival. That is true. That is true. I do have, I, I mean, the, the the betting odds for injury are literally whatever the betting odds of 99. us getting 9%. hit by an asteroid tomorrow, but the opposite of that. Welcome to the <laughs> the up like I said at the show. Hello and welcome to the Here We Started a Podcast. <laughs> it's a podcast that two dumb friends ooze into some intros and etc. Where we talk about some of the things that are fun and interesting to us. But I am your co-host Jeff that talks about things out of order. 
I I am your other co-host, Nick, and I don't want to ooze into anything. It's Nick. It's a whole year. I mean, it is February. Nick, it's February now. Did you even notice that January left I, us? It did. It did. It's bizarre. It's very very fast. Uh, time is time is a flat circle. Okay. Time, not is real. A, time is a flat circle. Okay, Nick. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I have kids. You know. You know this about me. I've heard of this. Yeah, I have talked about it. Um, one of the hardest things about kids in my experience is that, um, is like the nighttime times where they need to stop being kids that play and be kids that clean the house and rooms and (laughs) themselves. And like that transition is really like, it's hard to get them in the mood to do it. Fair. So this has been thing, been long time thing that we cared about. Okay. Anyways, recently. I so like you, you know me I'm a little bit of a goof and a little bit of a weirdo and recently I started a new thing where uh and by recently I mean like literally this last week where I become daddy robot and daddy robot daddy robot is a game where I turn into daddy robot and daddy robot has all kinds of important things for like missions for everybody to do. And so Alice and Avery, they turn into Alice robot and Avery robot and they accept missions from daddy robot. It's very cute. This is a very fun thing that we have figured out how to do. And so they, I, I, most of the missions, Nick, this is, this is really crazy. Most of the missions are about cleaning things up. Right? This is shocking. This, this is, is shocking very shocking. And Nick, and the 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 prize for uh, for which we go through these tribulations uh, as the robot uh, clan here is uh, at the end before they go into the bathtub they can get a like a little tiny bowl with some water and like two drops of food coloring which they get to pour into their bath which I'll tell you what. Two drops of food coloring will turn an entire bath purple. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It is. It is wild. Food coloring strong. Food coloring very strong and very effective. But they love it, and like now they get all excited because like if they're really they do a good job, then they earn like the the food coloring like mission at the end, whatever else. So like you know, I'm a total I nerd. Like I love having a fun time. Kids are fun, whatever. And also, it tricks them into cleaning the entire house, which is amazing. No. That's honestly adorable, and that makes sense. Like, it makes sense to me that, like, not not that kids are, like, disagreeable, but that you simply have to, like, play with their brains to, like, you know what I mean? Like, you just have to, like, ah, cleaning's a game, actually. Cleaning's so fun. Don't you guys want to clean? Daddy Robot. Well, like, I go into rooms, and I do, like, a scan of the room, and, like, oftentimes, (laughs) they have, like, a little, they have a playroom downstairs, and it's usually a disaster, and so, like, I just go into, like, complete (laughs) alert mode, (laughs) and they know that they have to hurry up and try to clean it. Um... (laughs) It's pretty funny, but here's the thing, Nick. Here's the here's the problem. Like that's that's been very effective, but I think maybe Daddy Robot has far 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 uh, like past the value in their eyes that regular Dad has, and so like Alice in the morning, like because I do that at night, like it's a nighttime thing. But now in the morning, Alice like at like six thirty a.m. She's like, I want to play Daddy Robot game. I'm like, I'm trying to get ready for work. Like, this is- 
<laughs> you thought you were manipulating them. And now they're <laughs> yeah. like, no, 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 bro. Where is the on button? Where is the on button for Daddy Robot? Well, you, that, oh my gosh, what a great thing to say because like literally Alice and Avery, they both now want to know what the on button is. Because like that was one of the things I did early on was like, I'm like, they had to like clean the the living room before they could push the on button before I would activate like as that was Daddy Robot. And so like now Alice wants to know like, where's the on button? Where's the on button? Because <laughs> like it's like on my knee or on my shoulder or on my <laughs> head or on my nose. And uh, so, yes, the on button is a big that's a big question. Okay. Um, it's a mystery. It, it's a mystery. But like it really it's like, oh, my God, what have I done? What have I done, Nick? I don't even have any idea. It's a bad idea. Raising, you should, raising kids is so hard. <laughs> I, you shouldn't have tried to uh, you shouldn't have tried to, to do like any kind of uh, reverse psychology or like manipulation. It's not really reverse psychology, but you know what I mean. But it, it is manipulation. Really, I can tell you that. It is manipulation. <laughs> it's, it is a dangerous route with kids. They, they are too creative and also too random. They will they do not cooperate. Oh, man. I it it just it's really it's a really adorable thing, but also it is a really funny thing. Like my, I'm not sure about how your day to day like attitude and outlook on life goes, but like for me, the difference between like I'm getting ready for work or whatever at like six or seven o'clock in the morning versus yeah. like yeah, like I I clearly see that the house needs put back together and we all need to go to bed and brush our teeth and take a bath and whatever. Like those are different people, <laughs> and oh, okay. And, but, but like, so you but yeah. don't want to interrupt that just just in case to go play Daddy Robot and scam the. <laughs> yeah, but no, it apparently was very effective because especially Alice, like she only wants to interact with Daddy Robot. Like I, normal me is apparently dead to her. I'm pretty sure you've been replaced, Jeff. You've been replaced. <laughs> I have been replaced by Daddy Robot, which I think fits nicely into other things we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But I, I respect it. I mean, I think that I'm ready for uh, our technological overlords to uh, to take over. Anyways, it's fine. Speaking of technological overlords taking over other things, um, so Nick, we both grew up in a generation that like had a lot of video game innovation happen in the middle of us growing up. Uh, yes, you agree? Or yep. you're just like, no, v- I, just, yes. I, haven't, I haven't yes. played any video uh, games since 1992. Well, I I do replay video games for 1992, but that's neither here nor there. That is true. It's games have changed a lot. When you look back, back at the let's let's go from like 12 years old to 18, like you're you're preteen to adult. What was your like? How would you describe the value or the hindrance or your nostalgia or etc. toward video games? during that time so i would say like the stuff from my early adolescence is i am very nostalgic for but it is also stuff that was relatively like straightforward and simple played a lot of 2d games played a lot of like handheld games and uh like console games and then i feel like was they that got like by and large single player or couch co-op yes or yeah mostly okay. mostly single player or, or some some couch co-op but probably mostly single player and that's what i was going to say is like i feel like gaming has really changed into a more social thing like i feel like most games are trying to do or not most games but i feel like online gaming is way more prominent and it started being more prominent as we were young adults or like later in my adolescence mm-hmm. and i know that you were playing uh competitive online games even uh, probably younger than I was, but like I think it's interesting because, uh, and I, I know we talked about this a little bit before, but um, I think it's interesting because I think kids are going to have a different experience with like 
the the intent for for gaming to move towards like a metaverse uh thing where you know i I think it's also just going to move gaming to be much much more of a uh a social experience and i think a lot of kids are growing up now playing games online with friends and most of my friends weren't right i assume it's the same for you right no i I mean we were the we were the weirdos i think (laughs) no i i think what you described is exactly what how i would describe my like growing up into it like I, I definitely had a lot of like single player stuff that would have had no social interaction and definitely some couch co-op. Like I, I definitely remember yeah. some good old Madden stuff like that. Like I would be over at friend's house. Or just like local, local or multiplayer, Smash right? Smash Brothers or, or yeah, or local multiplayer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. I, had a, I had a younger brother, 18 months younger than me. So of course we right. played a lot of video games <laughs> together. But the 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 online part started to come into play uh, like when I was like, 13, 14, 15, but like really that was just like to connect to people and play online and like some people would type in whatever, but like nothing compared to what was like what exploded back in like 2008, give or take a year or two uh, with everybody, like the social part of it became such a big deal. Like you, there were many, many games of which both you and I played together where yeah, you're you're on voice talking to people on a regular basis on yep. fixed days of the week and honestly in most of your free time. And to me that's a big difference between like connecting online and playing with against random people. Like cuz like you could even today you could just do that with chess or whatever. Like that that to me is a big difference between the social pressure and social like contracts that you would be forming to like show up on a day and do something that we had like as we were you know, coming of age, like, you know, 17, 18 plus. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't even have to even always be on like a, a specific timing. You know, there's a lot of games you can play. You just drop on and everything, but it's still, sure. it's still, and you could drop out of for long periods of time. But like, it's, I, I do wonder how it's going to affect like this, like how, uh, younger generations are going to get socialized and if we're kind of like that in between stage and that in between generation um even uh you know like my oldest sister isn't like that at all like my oldest sister has very different tech like relationship with technology than i do and she's only eight years older than me so like there's even older millennials who are not really like as uh who don't didn't really get socialized that way and i think that we're gonna have a generation of kids that are just not just tech tech literate but also view socialization a lot of the time through the lens of technology and video games and like it's it's kind of weird to think of that generation being that fundamentally different because you know like they're they're like ten years younger, they're not that much younger. <laughs> yeah, you know? well, and like like I can speak, Gen Z is I, like I have friends that I like, well, especially people I work with that have kids that are really really into video games and are you know nine and ten years old and they're all like it's all. It, it's the stuff that we did when we were 18 where right. on on voice all the time spare time and i just that to me is like uh, and we don't have to spend a ton of time on it but i'm just like like what do you feel like what do you feel like that's gonna have like just the impact on on that generation because that is that is a big difference of doing that when you are not even, like you're not even in middle school yet and you're doing that sort of stuff and I, exposed to all kinds of things the internet in general i mean it's it's hard because i think that you know the internet has a lot of effects and not all the effects are good like i'm not saying that to, to hate on the internet i mean we, we've talked about our qualms with like 
social media and stuff sure. ad nauseum. But like, I, I wonder if um, for some people it, it'll actually it could be the kind of thing that makes them have a less insulated worldview, even if they still live in the like yeah. you know in insulated communities. Because I, I mean, I think it had that exp- exp- uh, experience for me, and I think that you know I was exposed to people f- from like different walks at a younger age than I would have been if I had just been talking to people uh, at school, right? Because uh, your local community is always going to have some kind of characteristics that are not true of the of of like you know either America at large or English speaking people at large or even I mean you can play with people I mean, I, internationally I live in the stuff, middle of right? Kansas, so. right? Yeah. Right. So like I I would hope that it would help them be uh, more. Uh, you know, like more accepting of different kinds of worldviews. But I also wonder, are you also going to m- miss out on certain kinds of like in-person socialization and in-person incent- like incentives to go out and be uh, kind of like out in the real world and socializing uh, locally? And I don't uh, like... I always have thought of myself as uh, someone who had to develop social skills later in life. And I don't know if that's really like directly because of being a nerd who played video games. I know that's like the the cliche and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a chicken and egg situation where like, you know, I, I was a little bit more reserved. So I, you know, hung out online more because I was more reserved and maybe it was not the other way around, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. And I think that there's like other things that could happen good or bad but those are the two big ones that i would expect is like people that are maybe a little more hesitant to being social in person and also people who are but on the flip side and hopefully positively people who are maybe a little more accepting of other uh things they're not exposed to as often yeah i'll i'll take i'll take a pass at this too uh before we move on but um it's honestly not all dissimilar to your experience i um, I, as, especially when I was in, um, uh, like middle school, high school, especially when I was like between the ages of like 12 and, uh, 16 or 17, um, I really, really was like a super shy kid and I, I fit in, in the extent that I was nice to people. So I fit in, but not because right. of like my ability to like be cool or whatever, right. but I did find groups of people that like were super accepting of me online and I was a nerd and good at like math and strategy stuff and whatever. So like I I was able to find a group that that worked really well in. And so I found a, a social belonging that I didn't have in real life and not, not that they're separate. Honestly, I, we, we very much use like the, the IRL tag to a lot of things. In my opinion, that's kind of, uh, yep. that's a little bit antiquated. That was a, that's a very 2010 I, I was sort gonna of say, phrase. I actually heard IRL in a video today and I was like, I haven't, it, it, it sounds wrong. Like someone's saying it now feels wrong. It's, yeah. No, it, it does feel wrong. Cause like for the longest time, like we would talk about meeting IRL and IRL friends versus online friends. Like that is my generation's weird thing that we did. But yep. like nowadays, I haven't, honestly, I'm kind of talking about this extemporaneously, but like I don't distinguish. I mean, I, I haven't distinguished them in a long time, but nope. in the last two years, Nick, it's like it's as foreign to yeah. me as if like people are like, oh, hey, we're we're gonna go to dinner tonight, but can you please cover your tattoo? I find tattoos really offensive. <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, like what? What are you talking like, about? I, I, I'm so I didn't I'm, realize I stepped do... through a time portal to nineteen thirty eight. Like people what think in the that world? Way? Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and like it that is not a thing that I think of. Um, so f- for me, it 
it worked really well because I built a little bit of confidence as far as like um, leading a group of people or like being a, a a part of a group of people. So I, I, it I can it can totally put you in different group dynamics, which are probably a good thing for kids to be experiencing, right? Like in in a um, I heard the the best description of Dungeons and Dragons once that it's a place to explore failure without consequences, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's like a beautiful example of like why gaming in general is is like uh or like a benefit of gaming in general. It lets you like you know experiment and push yourself and whatever without the uh you know the, the they they meant it in just a social way. But I mean, there's a million there's a but even failing in a video game with your friends is not the end of the world, you know? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like, I, I feel like that's well said. The, the other part of that, that you hit on directly, which I can't possibly overstate is I like being a person who grew up in Kansas where I did the amount of diversity that I was exposed to. I mean, was <laughs> was, let's just call lacking. And well, I mean, any small town, even it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just small town life. Yeah, it's just small town life. And, the, and there are so many great benefits to it and many things that I love and hold dear. Like, don't it's this is not disparaging yeah. of my experience growing up. I, I love it and cherish it very much. And I love where I live. But I mean, to be able to meet somebody like young when we were like yeah. 18 years old. That was such a fun experience, and I literally, like, even to this day, I look back as some of my most favorite, uh, like, experiences as a late teen or early 20-year-old, and to be able to, like, hang out and meet up in person with such a different group of people than I would have ever met up with outside of my, my, like, my 700, uh, you know, person town that I live in, like, that's completely different. And I think it's really cool that it, it can normalize that stuff too. Uh, like to, to add on what you're saying, like when you meet those people and you can normalize, like, oh, they have the same interests I do. Like there, there's no, there's no difference whether they're somebody from like a totally different country or that they not speak your language or if they're just like somebody that's like I don't know, older, younger. There's a million different ways that you can meet different kinds of people. Kids shouldn't meet people too much older. That's that's important. But you know, <laughs> well, and, and okay, you say that, and that that is another weird thing about like the internet and gaming and young kids is like that that's a weird thing but yeah i don't know there there's lots of challenges that i'm gonna have to figure out uh as my kids get older but i do i do think in the right if if managed correctly there are a lot of benefits that we we don't really exactly know how to navigate but i think are worth trying to figure out because i i do think back on the the time that i spent and the people that i met and Again, it's not even just people that we met online and never met in person. The people that I've met in person multiple times that I've seen uh, that we like we've hung out that we've fallen out of touch with and gotten back in touch with. Yeah, as I you mean, do with both friends, right? Like, yeah. which is the, another thing. Like, to, to your point about it, you know, the distinction between IRL and online not not meeting as much anymore. And honestly, I've gotten back in touch with more people than I started friendships with online than I have the people that I'm around. I like, know it's easier geographically <laughs> um, because we're used to that. It's okay. I I uh, I, I don't want to belabor the topic, um, but I have a question for you. When you when you brought this up and I'm talking about like our adolescents versus other adolescents, I was thinking about okay, well, how is the future of everything going to affect everybody differently and uh, or affect the younger generations differently. And I was thinking about like, well, we're push- we're pushing in towards 
like metaverse is like a mm-hmm. hot topic lately, especially with gaming. So I don't really think that that's going to fundamentally change much. Like as I'm thinking about it here, I, I don't see dynamics in which that, that fundamentally changes much that online gaming doesn't already do. Like online gaming with voice uh, already does this, right? Uh, it already gives you that same kind of social exposure. And I don't think that, I mean, I mean, there, there's ways that it might like enhance it or make it like even more normalized or more widespread. But I don't think it's a fundamentally different experience that kids would have versus that the, playing, I don't know, uh, here, like Fortnite right now. So, so here's like, I, I mean, I am the extreme optimist. Here's my extreme optimist view yeah, version it, of this is I, I hope that in a VR metaverse, whatever, whatever, that the best parts of meeting people outside of your direct geographical restrictions in a metaverse sort of experience is more, well, for one, translatable to real life, but two, build those skills that are translatable to real life also. Again, I'm I'm the kid from the the 2000s, so I keep saying real life, and it's all real life, but like the... I hope that that because there are so many benefits to the, the online stuff that like don't always translate to in-person experiences, but yep. it's getting better. It's getting way better. And I would love if that could be a thing where, you know, I'm a weird kid and I don't really fit in with the social group that I am a part of at my school or whatever, but I have a social group that I do fit in with and I can start to build those skills and because it is so realistic or so tied to things that are realistic adjacent that I can still build those skills and, and have that development even without having that need to be people that I happen to, to go to school with during the day or whatever. That That's right. my optimist take on it. I don't may, – maybe not. Maybe that's not how it plays out at all. Eh. And this is going to be a giant mess, but – I mean, I'd love to see data. Um, this is like our anecdotal experience, but I think that the, that our experience is not uh, a, a not a especially un- a unique one. I think it's just like one for our like from certain people in our generation, or just like yeah. people who are trying to, or who are doing online gaming in our generation, and that's a lot of my friends too. So I, I don't think you're alone, and I don't think you're being overly optimistic. I think that's a very normal way, or a very likely way it could go for a lot of people. Also, the world just totally changed overnight with remote work and the whole thing that we value so much of in-person interaction, uh, especially in a work setting, has like completely flipped its head over the past yep. two years. And so, it, it I mean, that may become even more practical and useful and etc. to be able to interact with people digitally like that might become more important from a, a professional standpoint than your ability to to do the in-person thing which is which is weird and a, a weird thing to think about and if you've been in a career for more than you know five years that seems very counterintuitive to the things that you've spent so much time working on but i don't know i, I like that doesn't seem crazy to me uh that could that could be a, a takeaway especially long term me either Nick, we're gonna switch gears as fast as a yes, as, as fast we, as we, gears we went can a switch. little long, but we that's little, okay. But that's what the power of editing does for our listeners. That was maybe Amazing. five minutes. Who knows? Wow! Wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> editing <laughs> magic! Wow! We're gonna go way back, Nick. We're going over a hundred years ago, and I don't think we've ever talked about this. Uh, it'll be really embarrassing if we have. I say that multiple times now because it's getting hard to remember. Uh, Nick, have you ever heard of the man, the myth, the legend, 
Ernest Shackleton. Ernest Shackleton. I cannot say I ever have, but that's a great <laughs> name. That is a fantastic name. That is a very good name, and it's a very good story. It's over 100 years ago. It's one of the... I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to tip my hand here. It's just, it's one of the best stories that we've that we have, Nick, of, okay. of real stories. And Nick, how many how many YouTube videos from 1920 or 1910 or so have you watched? Like well, a, lot of, a lot of YouTube. I would videos? say I would say zero YouTube videos from 1920 or 1910 because YouTube came out in the mid 2000s, but. Uh, also like very, very, very minimal amount of, of content has been, uh, no, like basically okay. nothing. This is, this is probably one of the best documented crazy stories from the 19 teens that exists. Like it has okay. to be, I can't even, I can't even think of anything that would be better documented from the 1910s than, than the, what this is, uh, as far as video goes. Uh, I mean, honestly, I, I don't. I don't say this often, but like you can listen to this podcast. You listen to me and Nick talk about it. You can listen to how excited I get. But at the end of it, please just go like just go type it into YouTube and watch. There's like a handful of videos and documentaries about this thing. Uh, and and maybe maybe this is more like well known than uh, than I realize. Like I, I definitely knew of this beforehand. I have I have watched maybe a documentary or two in my illustrious career of watching documentaries because I'm a nerd. But like I, I don't feel like it's super well known and I want to talk about it, even if you do happen to catch on to what it is or anything. Um, but I think there's a, like I think there's like a 95 percent chance you have no idea what any of this is. I, I think so. Like nothing you've said has like triggered any like small familiar insights. We go, yeah, go hit, hit me with it. Man. We're I'm gonna go. Okay, now. so Nick, uh, uh, we would you consider yourself a world explorer, like going into the unknown and trying to find, be the first person to set their feet on on places? I would say most human beings born, uh, most millennials and later are not. <laughs> I would say most of us are not. <laughs> Yeah, I'm real it's... comfortable with my couch, though. Is that, is... <laughs> no, okay, that is true. And you know, the metaverse is kind of you know separating the meaning of that. But um, but no. So Nick, uh, let me tell you: before us millennials were born, and before our parents were born, um, there were places on the surface of our planet that were very, very, very largely un unexplored. Which is <clears throat> which? Which is like. Obviously kinda true, insane. but also kind of crazy. And it was yeah. kind of like a job. I mean, not a super well-paying job, but a job. I mean, and definitely given, a job that could get you killed, from my yeah. understanding. My yeah. understanding of, yeah, of older people. That'll, that'll be a theme, Nick. <laughs> that'll be a theme. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. So, okay. Uh, Ernest Shackleton. Guy was an explorer. That is what he had on his business card. He, okay. Yeah, so he led some British ex- expeditions. Um, he wanted to be the first man to the South Pole, uh, which he failed to do. Uh, but like, man, Nick, like, which is just like just crazy because like, there's a whole station down there right now, and the the idea that like there was a race to be the first humans to go down to something pretty crazy. Uh, in 1914, late in that year. He set off to uh, with a with a group of twenty seven men, and they were going to be the first ones. They were going to sail through overland on the uh, the the ice pack that is Antarctica. And I I didn't really realize this, but during certain parts of the year, Antarctica, especially back then, was semi like like it would just melt, and so you could kind of like just boat your way through it. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah. 
So like on the map, it looks like it's very frozen and very, very landy, but it's not always that way. So like there, there are parts of it where, uh, especially where there were strong currents, like where you'd be able to like kind of make your way through, or at least that was the thought. Okay. Okay. They get to the point where they are trapped in 1915. The, the ice gets too thick and they try to push their way through having a bad time. Uh, they get stuck. It's like a weird thing. And like, and I, I, I'm going to point this out a couple of times because you 100% should go like Google this. Like there's, there's so many great videos on this, but it, okay. it is the actual videos of 19 flipping 15 people getting out of their boat and going onto the ice and doing stuff. Like it, it's pretty that's, wild. That's kind of, that's kind of crazy. and kind of really cool. I, I want to watch it now, but yeah. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't go. Uh, and I, I will, I'm going to make one asterisk here. There's one kind of a bummer part of this story, and I'm just majorly going to pretend as if it doesn't exist or happen at all, and we'll talk about it later off air, but like, we're just, it doesn't exist and not happening at all, and please don't Google things because you'll know exactly what it is, and that's fine. It doesn't exist. We're not going to, we're just, it's not going to happen. Anyways, so they got stuck in in, in the ice uh, as it packed, and... Uh, they were they were stuck there. They were just kind of waiting for about a month, and they got to the point where they they wanted to give it a go to try to like pickaxe their way to the open seas, uh, for lack of better like term. There, that so, doesn't sound good. I just want to let you know. Anytime you have to pickaxe your way to the open seas, doesn't sound like the way to go. Well, you know, Nick, if you're sitting on a boat that's stuck in the ice for two yeah. uh, for a month, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're like, oh, let's give, options, give it right? the old college yeah. try. So they, they they do like a huge big chunk of the ice. They end they spend two days nonstop, like around the clock. They they dig it all out and then they push the boat back as far as it will go and then they shove it forward as far as it will go. And they got to within four hundred yards of the open sea, which is simultaneously close but also impossibly far away. Um they yeah. estimated the part that they got stuck on was eighteen feet deep into the water, which I don't really know I mean, especially in nineteen twelve what you would or 1915 like what you would do to try to make progress on 18 foot deep ice to try to make your boat go through no Um, idea so they did what they they did what i would do which is give up uh they they considered themselves stuck and they were going to wait until uh the ice melted and they could make their their way out to sea uh, which didn't seem like it was going to happen anytime soon because, like I said, it was pretty cold. They knew there was an island that was about, let me see here, 350 miles away. For context, Nick, from actual civilization, like where people were definitely going to be, yeah. they were 1,200 miles away. This was uh, not like both, a civilized both island. Those numbers are not my, fa- not, I'm not a fan of. The, either of those numbers. And I, I'm not sure if you're aware or not, Nick, not a lot of cell phone signal in the middle of uh, the Antarctic back in, the in 19, 1915. In the early 19- <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. No? Okay. Okay. So so no, no way of communication. You're 1,200 miles from civilization. You're stuck in a piece of ice that's floating in the ocean 350 miles away from an island that you think that there is a supply depot to. You don't really get any closer, though. Um, they, they were at a point where they were thinking about like maybe trying to leave. They had some, uh, they had a few, like they had, they had a few lifeboats and they, they were thinking about trying to make the, the journey to that Island, but they never really got close enough for it to be like super meaningful. 
And then, Nick, after they kind of drifted past on their little <laughs> frozen ice cube, uh, they started to have their ship get crushed by the ice around it. And it started to take on water. They Yikes. did some things to, like, keep the boat from... Not like, good. Still, their goal is, like, hey, we still want to try to do this. We just need to be stuck, unstuck from the water. Um, the ice pushed in more and took on more water. They ultimately gave up and decided to to abandon ship. They got all of the things off the ship, all the goods off the ship, uh, put into their little three lifeboats, the 27 men. And, uh, and again, very, very early film as far as film goes, but you can literally watch all this happen. And as they're like kind of figuring out what they want to do uh, after they have abandoned their ship, uh, it continues to get crushed and toppled over, and you can like see it all break in like uh, like good old nineteen twenties uh, film. Like it's just it's just wild. So at this point, you're stuck on a piece of ice in the Antarctic, twelve hundred miles from civilization. Your boat is slowly being crushed by the ice. <laughs> you're you're well, and their boat was it got i mean you can watch the video it is destroyed they have their three little baby boats uh good three little baby boats uh not really i mean being crushed thoroughly crushed (laughs) got it so (laughs) so basically the strategy now is they're going to get to kind of their edge of their like their multi hundred mile uh chunk of ice so they get to the edge and and for six months they they had watched as their island the previous one had floated by and they're now like trying to figure out what their next options are and it's 14 months now since they've left and 13 months since, since they've been shipwrecked stuck on an ice cube uh, <laughs> floating in the sea that's a long time nick i'll just it's a I'll long time um so there was an island called elephant island and they what that was basically their chance to get off of the ocean that's kind of the direction that they were floating toward and they so they kind of knew that was going to be the case and one day kind of uns- unsuspectedly their uh, their ice pack began to break apart and like on a basically on a on a drop of a dime they all got into their uh their three their three little lifeboats and set sail for Easter or, or for Elephant Island. Not Easter Island. Not not the place with the, no, I was gonna with say. the statues. No, Elephant Island. It was a seven-day trip through some really nasty storms that kind of like spurred on this thing. They, because of being on um, on the south side of the planet, they at that time were in 17 hours of darkness per day. Um, the temperatures averaged 20 degrees below zero. I never thought about how terrifying that would be. You'd have to be doing everything, most, or not everything. I mean, nine hours, or sorry, seven hours of daylight is still a lot, but like, come yeah. on, that's not fun. That's it's not, not fun. It's not great. Uh, and Nick, uh, at 20 degrees below zero on the sea, given the circumstances, you want to guess how much they ate and drank? <laughs> Not much is the answer. <laughs> not much. Is that not a lot of fish around? Not a, not a lot of time to fish. Um, all kinds of crazy stories. Um, they actually had a fantastic navigator that was able to like lead the way through all of it. Um, we'll kind of just gloss over that, but it, it's, it is crazy that they were able to do what they did. But they did finally make it to land. Um, so... For the first time in 14, 15 months, they were on solid ground, not just floating on a piece of ice, a giant piece of ice. And that didn't really, like, they were on ground, which was great. 
I mean, you can kind of build per- permanent residence that you can like try to keep warm in and stuff like that. Uh, but they were uh, they were still eight hundred miles away from civilization at this point. And so, so if I'm not if I'm not responding a ton, it's because like I'm kind of feeling dark, Jeff. This is sorry. I'm I, this is the the place for fun stuff, Jeff. No, it, this is just I I don't even the whole thing is just so wild, and I've I've heard this story before, like I said, and I like really got into it and read about it. Like the whole thing is wild. So, anyways, 800 miles um, south of uh, South Georgia. So they they needed to head north to South Georgia, uh, where there was a, a whaling station, and okay. there was no no reason to take everybody there because this is going to be quite the treacherous journey. First, they needed to to sail there, and the fact was, even if they sailed there and were successful, they were still going to be quite far from where yeah. the actual civilization was. Anyways. They they head out. They I mean they, they this there is this is not like apocryphal like just you know a story that maybe or maybe not is true. They had a twenty three foot boat where they were sailing over in storms, like waves that were over fifty feet tall. Like it was absolutely treacherous. Eight hundred <laughs> miles. This group of six people. They they did though. They made it, Nick. They made it to Georgia South South Shore. It took them two days to land. Like once they got to it, uh, I can't even imagine how treacherous. Like that's you, insane. You're yeah. there, but it takes you two days to land because of just how crazy the weather and just the the sea was there. So they land huge icy cliffs. Three of the guys are super super sick, and so they just stay with the boat and like try to get healthy. And the other three, uh, they brought screws just in case they had to do some climbing. Uh, so they they get the screws out. They screwed the screws into their their shoes. So that they can like use them as like little ice pick shoe things. I don't know what the right word is. Um, they climb these crazy icy cliffs, uh, and they get the 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 story. And the, again, it's not like it's apocryphal. There are there is literally video of this. Like the night that it was like super crazy, the very first night. Um, they get to the top of a huge cliff, super late. Like you can't be up there like that late, uh, that high, and they look down and you can't see past all the mist and stuff but th- it's late they decide to just they they get a rope and they all hold on to each other and they slide down what ended up being over a thousand feet of uh, downhill snow Yikes. and they survive <laughs> a few days later they stumble their way into the town uh that is the south georgia whaling station and so the three of them they make their way. They've all lived despite all this absolutely ridiculous thing. The next day, what's his face? Ernest Shackleton. He knew people there. And he put an ad in the paper that released the next day. And this is the thing that I found right before we were talking. Um, the ad read, men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages. Bitter cold. Long months of complete darkness. Constant danger. Safe return doubtful. Honor and recognition in case of success. Um, wow what a, what a what it's a freaking honest though right <laughs> <laughs> it is honest i really gotta give it to Ernest for not at least not like tricking anyone into this with him but geez man um so they they made it all this way um they did end up getting a number of people to like try to make the 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 venture back to to the people that they had left um actually it was only it was only three days later until they headed out on their uh first uh like attempt. little attempt to to bring these people home 
Which, which is it, that's that's big on him. I was gonna say. I mean, I I could see a world where people are like, well, it's just too dangerous, you know. But that, that's bi- it's big to go back. Yeah, big to big to go back. But Nick, it took them four attempts to find the place and to get everybody rescued. Uh, and Nick, when I say everybody rescued, not you a mean, single er- person died from this. Yeah, I've I've been waiting the whole time to hear who di- how many people died because not- usually in these stories. From Not like a the 1900s single the, person, dude. So it's usually, in these stories from like the 1800s, um, actually, in uh, in a book you recommended to me, they talked about this. But like, it uh, usually it's like, oh, and half the crew died, and it was a miracle that the other half lived. And it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, honestly, it's, I it's wild that they even went back and tried to save them. Like, yeah. legitimately, like given the circumstances, and uh, but like the. The whole thing, like, it is, I mean, even in modern, even modern today, like, if this was 2022, that would be seen as an absolutely astronomically huge success. Like, completely against all odds. And we're talking about people, they didn't, it's not like they had cell phones, they didn't have GPS, they didn't have anything. They were going off a guy who was good at writing notes on freaking paper and writing down the like location that's, of the sun. That's a very good point. How, what the hell? How did they like random upon these people in the ocean? The ocean is big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really big. But they took like really good notes all along the way of like how how they found them and like I tell you what, Nick, it really gives me a whole new respect and like just just general perspective on like how navigation of the seas worked and how how much of a skill that was prior to the world of GPS and etc. Like that's a completely oh, yeah. different thing than anything that we can imagine. I, I talk about how bad I am with directions, but that's a whole nother level of good with directions. Right. Like I can't even going off of uh, I mean they use stars for for uh, location with yeah uh, with right? stars yeah, and measuring the sun and sextants and things like what in the world it is yeah it is very very cool um i say all this to say the the whole whole thing is a thing i've been aware of and i i just love like randomly revisiting historical things and this happens to be a historical thing i randomly revisited i'm like oh my gosh i have to share this story (laughs) it's over 100 years ago now and like we can't lose this like this is one of the best like most ridiculous underdog historical stories ever the fact that nobody died, Nick, over two years of being stuck in the ice of a place that nobody had really been to ever of any right. significance. Right. And, and I mean, just being losing stuck in the ice ship. in the South Pole. It doesn't, I mean, I know that, like, you know, there's the element of, like, just not knowing how far uh, like or how far you are from civilization and people not knowing what to do with, with you because they haven't been there before or whatever. But, like, dude, if your ship gets stuck in ice in the South Pole and you it gets crushed by, like, drifting ice and you have to all get out on freaking uh, lifeboats... Like you're dead. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to be dead. Oh, yeah, it was a good run. <laughs> well, we we tried. We signed up for it. I, yeah, yeah, like yeah, it's insane. That's that's amazing, man. That's amazing. Yeah. I was like literally waiting the whole time for this to kind of get solemn of like, oh, and you know, fifty people died, and nope. we'd be like, oh wow, a miracle that only fifty, dude, too cool. Hundred percent of people made it, and they made it just in time to come back to the Spanish flu. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean. To, I didn't even think about that, and I didn't want to bring it dark. No, they made it, and it was great, and they all did great. Uh, they lived long, happy lives, and they died at. Uh, and not a single one of them died of the Spanish flu, probably. Wow! Wow! Way to, way to bring it back, <laughs> man. Only us, Nick, could find a way to bring one of the best, like underdog, you're all, you're all, you all survived stories to one of the most biggest bummers. With that, You're all Nick, welcome. We should probably wrap it up before we find any other good ideas. Um, 
yeah, if you want to, Nick, or anybody, I guess not necessarily just you, we typically talk to ourselves and we don't need to listen to it afterwards. But <laughs> if you would like, we have a Patreon-only podcast. It drops on the off Mondays uh, that this podcast does. Uh, same thing, uh, just a little off the cuff and uh, just a little little extra fun every, every other week. So if you want to, you can check that out. It's at patreon.com forward slash Tywasap. Yep. And you can also follow us at Tywasap on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Uh, and you can find all of that at tywasap.com. Nicholas, thank you for potting with me. And if we ever find ourselves on a boat in the middle of the Antarctic, I just want you to know, please just find a way to end me. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I, don't I, worry, I'll, I'll totally come Ernest back Shackleton. for you. I know Ernest Shackleton. I'll totally come back for you. Don't worry about it. Oh, you perfect. are welcome, sir. This has been the year we started the podcast. Thank you all for listening.